This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the human capital strategy for the U.S. Army Futures Command? What is it doing differently to attract and retain a skilled workforce? And how is it using technology and innovation to change the way it operates? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Kate Kelly, Chief Human Capital Officer at the Army Futures Command. Welcome to the show, Kate. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and look forward to the discussion. Wonderful. I just want to start off with some context for our listeners. Would you tell us more about the mission and organization of the U.S. Army Futures Command? How does it predict the future of warfare from an operational and human capital standpoint? Thanks. It's it's a great place to start, and I think um, one that makes a, a real interesting intersection for our conversation today. So AFC is is really charged with um, something that some people believe is unachievable, and that is predicting the future. <laughs> and it's a really it's a really interesting challenge. Um, one of the things that that the current commanding general, uh, General Mike Murray, always reminds us is we're probably going to get it wrong, but the point is somebody has got to be looking at it, and that's the reality of of why Futures Command. Um, the Army has a very honest assessment of itself and establish Futures Command to do what it needs to do in order to be prepared for that future fight. And so AFC is about identifying, predicting, um, assessing what that future need and capability for the United States Army needs to look like. And what does that mean for human capital? It means that we have to include the right people and the right skills and the right um, competencies in order to be prepared for that future fight. And so that's really uh, what I would offer you in terms of what is AFC, what is its mission, and more importantly, you know, what does that human capital lens look like uh, with respect to the command? That's great. And so, Kate, you know, you you right into it for us because I want to talk about your specific duties and responsibilities as the chief human capital officer within the Army Futures Command. What are they? And just as importantly, how is your office organized and what are the functions within your portfolio? So I am the human capital officer, which I would offer to you as a little bit of a different label for the traditional Army. You know, in the private sector and in many other federal government agencies, uh, certainly in uh, Fortune 500s, there is always a human capital officer, uh, a Chico position, as some would call it. The, the point is that AFC is challenging the Army mindset in terms of some, some legacy thinking, and, and my position is really designed to bring about the thinking with respect to people And how do you intersect that into the day-to-day mindset and day-to-day of a four-star command and its mission? So my my responsibilities are are pretty broad. They span everything from traditional 
human capital, meaning how, how are we hiring? How are we taking care of people? How are we compensating people? How are we managing them? But all the way to the far end of that spectrum, which is what should AFC be thinking about either for AFC's workforce or for the Army to really bring more modern human capital practices into our space? And so I think of my role as really trying to challenge the enterprise to get away from arguably legacy human capital systems and move as far as we can legally move within the federal government, of course, um, towards things that are more agile and more modern with respect to managing talent. Well, that's a, that's a quite a mission. And I'm sure regarding those duties and responsibilities and that kind of vision of uh, of getting away or transforming the legacy into something that can that can really help the Army's Future Command's mission, which is to predict the future in a lot of ways. What are some of the top challenges you face in your position in doing that and realizing that vision? And how have you sought to address those challenges? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question because I view a lot of the limiting factors that I deal with today as a direct result of of some of the constraints that are placed upon the federal workforce. And so I think the biggest challenges that that I literally fight day to day are trying to do what you intellectually and intuitively know needs to be done with respect to talent management, but it's very difficult to do it because we are still operating with what I consider to be some very antiquated and legacy systems that are that are specifically in place as federal uh, employees um, are, are in, in today's world. So the, I would consider both military and civilian in that spectrum uh, of limitation. I think the Army in, is doing a wonderful job of recognizing that its talent management has to evolve for its military and for its civilians. But the the challenge that that I face and we face is how do you do that within the confines of, say, the general schedule for federal employees and um, limitations of competition and, and fair practice? Those things that are still in place for the federal government and therefore uh, my, my purview um, really, really make it difficult to be as uh, nuanced and as agile as we want to be with respect to to talent management. So that's that's what I would offer you as as the primary challenges. There are of course um, sort of second and tertiary levels within that, but that's what I fight every day. Is how can I, within the confines of where we are today as a, as an employer. How can I do things differently? Interesting. So uh, my next question is around, uh, you know, from challenges to surprises. So, Kate, what has surprised you most since taking over your role? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I think I would offer a couple of, of ideas on that. It was surprising to me how challenging it was going to be for Army Futures Command to, to do two very strategic things simultaneously. One of that has to do with the establishment of the new command itself and the headquarters in downtown Austin, Texas, by the way, for for your listeners. We are not on an army installation. We are in an urban environment and we are in a high cost urban environment. 
At the same time we were trying to establish the headquarters, uh, we were also trying to kind of merge the existing scientific and research communities across the Army and our analysis and data components and our um, concept writers all merging together to be part of this new entity called Army Futures Command. So I think the biggest surprise that, that I had was how complex, how difficult, and quite frankly, how lengthy that process of trying to do a merger and an acquisition of existing entities at the same time you're trying to execute a startup of the headquarters in Austin all at once. And, and that perhaps would be something that the private sector may not try to attack at once, but that's essentially what the Army did when they stood up AFC. I, I think the big surprise for me was just how complex and how how lengthy it's going to be to work through that. Let's talk, talk about a little bit about yourself um, and how you got to where you are now. Can you give us a sense of your career path and um, what brought you to your current role? Uh, certainly. I am actually a former uh, Army officer myself. I did just four years on active duty, um, got out as a captain, um, and immediately uh, started working for United Technologies and, and Carrier in, a, in the private sector and something in that experience sort of uh, made me miss the Army a little bit. Um, it was a fantastic experience understanding um, a, a large corporation and, and private sector business. But I ended up kind of migrating my way back to, to the Army as a civilian. I was working for Army Material Command because my expertise for the Army training was in logistics. And I was also working on their base realignment and closure 2011 round which was pretty substantive for the Army and, and pretty um, challenging to execute. And so that position uh, as the chief of the BRAC office really gave me some contacts and some exposure across the Army that, that was very helpful for me. Since then, I've had a variety of jobs that were mostly in D.C., still working for the Army. Uh, most uh, probably, interestingly, for my current job, I had some some time with with the Information Technology Agency, which is now essentially the Joint Service Provider and DISA. So I have a, a small background in in IT delivery, and then I actually was also uh, the superintendent at Arlington National Cemetery, where um, many would would perhaps question the the intersection of that very different career path. But what I would tell you at the cemetery, I was there twice. I was there once in the midst of what I would call the cleanup that needed to happen there in terms of their business processes and their, their management uh, practices. And then I um, actually most recently was the superintendent. And so the experience that I've drawn on in my career from both logistics and management leadership roles and understanding how information technology can evolve and enable organizational change and organizational business process is what I draw on today in my current role, because much of what I'm doing in the talent management space today for Futures Command has to do with upskilling and, and creating uh, new competencies that make people um, literate in the data space and literate in the information technology space. And so um, if you look at my resume, it looks very strange in terms of where I've been, but um, the threads that I'm able to pull through those jobs are absolutely threads that are crucial to what I'm doing right now for AFC. 
That's a great transition into the next question. Given that career path and given your current mission, what are the characteristics, Kate, of an effective leader? And perhaps you could share some of the leadership principles that guide your efforts. Yeah, this is one of those questions that you can take in so many different directions. Um, I do I do a lot of um, informal mentorship, and a lot of the people that I work with ask me this question as well. I personally have have a thought process about it that focuses on authenticity and as a leader, meaning um, making sure that you are presenting your real self to your teams, to your organization, to your colleagues, to those that are that are in support of you. And and I think that's a crucial characteristic because there is so much that you try to do in the federal government, especially that is difficult and constrained that you know, getting people to want to do the difficult things that take a lot of effort means they've got to believe not only in you as the leader, but they've got to believe in the why behind the mission. And so I find that to be a a crucial, crucial point. The other piece that I offer is you you have to be um, credible as a leader. And, And I think credibility is is garnered not just from a technical perspective, but more from a willingness to do the hard work and to put in the effort yourself. And so I particularly like to be very involved in what my teams and my organizations are trying to achieve and to be able to be understanding and and literate in what their expertise is. I think good, effective leaders are able to be both authentic and credible if they take the time to do that. The third piece that I would say is that you want to be careful that you don't inadvertently become that micromanaging type. You still want to empower those around you to achieve the the visions that you are setting forth. So it's a little bit of a balance, um, but but those are some, some tenets that I very much believe in. And I've personally tried to leverage in my career thus far. What is the human capital strategy for the U.S. Army Futures Command? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report, Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner, breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Kate Kelly, Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. Army Futures Command. 
So, Kate, I was wondering if you could, uh, you kind of hinted at some of the priorities you have in the previous segment, but could you outline the human capital strategy for the Army Futures Command? What are those key priorities that will allow you to realize your vision? Absolutely. Um, Number one is I am taking full advantage of all flexibilities and authorities that Congress has seen fit to give the Army already. And what I mean by that are things like direct hire authority, uh, ability to um, incentivize uh, higher education and then bring uh, that talent into the organization. And then other ideas such as um, brevet promotions for the right skill sets in the right positions, um, meaning critically in our strategy, getting the right skill set in the right job and not being constrained by perhaps legacy thinking that might suggest that if you've been in this position for X amount of time, you must move on. Um, But really trying to make sure that the skill set and the competencies that are requisite for the position are married up with the right individual at the right time for that job. The other piece of the strategy involves creating a more... um, a more permeable membrane, if you will, between the various entities within Army Futures Command. And what I mean by that is that today uh, we have uh, the labs and the research and development entities across the Army that are part of our organization. They have uh, very unique authorities given to them by Congress that allow them some more flexible ways to manage their talent both inside their organization, but also accessing that talent from the outside and in. And we have other parts of Futures Command who are in the more traditional GS system. So that the challenge we have is that the authorities that the labs have really give people ways to competitively move up in promotion and responsibility levels in a more seamless way. And if you're trying to incentivize people who understand the research elements and the R&D components and science and technology components to be part of the rest of AFC, you're you're creating a, a barrier asking them to leave those more flexible systems to go into the antiquated GS system. So the other element that is part of our strategy is to create one pool of talent management for AFC so that our talent is not uh, disincentivized to take a job at the headquarters, to move to a lab, to move to our research and analysis portion, to go to our futures and concept center and think about the concept writing for the future. I'm trying to create an environment where um, we are incentivizing people to be able to move and not disincentivizing them. The third piece of it that I would offer is that we are being a pilot for new data, data science, and software, um, and how you manage that talent for the military as well. And so we've got some very interesting constructs that we're working in software development and data analytics that are going to allow the Army to not only create that skill set in its military workforce, but we are piloting how should we care for that talent across the broader Army Um, And so it's a very, very interesting and very exciting collection of initiatives that we have in, in our vision here for AFC. 
definitely exciting stuff that you're doing. I was wondering, Kate, are there specific internal drivers uh, or external trends that have shaped and informed your strategy? Absolutely. I think the the most glaring one is the critical need for literacy in software application development and understanding how to manipulate data to make good, decisive decisions. And I think if you look across the spectrum of not just the federal government, but obviously in the private sector and academia as well, the, the information age that we are all a part of today and the speed of decisive decision-making and relevant information to do so is arguably the critical piece uh, of any corporation or nonprofit or um, Department of Defense or Army. How fast can you make the right decision and what data did you use to do so? And the software side of that has to do with the, the delivery and the processes that you access those decision cycles. And so... The, the trends that are going on in our country and in our world today, meaning how does automation enable you to, to be more effective at whatever you're trying to achieve, those trends are absolutely informing our vision. And, and, and it's very, very much a guiding light for us because we know in order to predict what that future army model needs to look like, um, we know it is going to be dependent on data and connected systems and networks that are resilient, even in a degraded environment, and people who are uh, skilled with the aptitude to manage that type of a battlefield. And so that theme of data analytics and also understanding network resiliency and architectures to do so is what we use as a guidepost for setting our vision for our human capital strategy. That's great. You know, you mentioned in the previous segment the unique mission of the Army's future command. And I was wondering, you know, when, when your mission is, you know, the persistent modernization of the Army in order to provide future warfighters with the concepts, capabilities, and organizational designs needed to dominate a future battlefield, that's quite a mission. How is the Army's future command addressing the huge cultural shift from the institutional way the Army has done this in the past? I think it is absolutely one of the the challenges that we have, and it's also one of the most interesting reasons for Army Futures Command. I believe that the Army writ large knew, and remember, we are a huge, huge organization, knew that the only way it could challenge its own legacy systems and its own legacy mindset was to stand up something at such a level, at a four-star level, that it would, in fact, challenge the Army writ large. So it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, asking a larger bureaucracy to, to challenge itself by establishing an entity within it that has enough um, command presence and power um, to really force uh, institutional change and to be that pervasive change agent. That's what AFC is really doing on behalf of the Army. So predicting the future and predicting that future fight is the the mechanism by which we do this. But the more strategic um, role for Futures Command is that we are trying to push on those legacy systems. And so the cultural shift is critical there. How do you how do you address that? You have to continually 
understand that when you are trying to get people to do things differently or think differently, every single small conversation is a big conversation to the person that you're asking to do something different. And getting a culture of acceptance for doing the harder, more different model um, is something that doesn't happen overnight. And I think one of the biggest realizations that we've had as a command, going back to that startup and merger and acquisition, is that this is going to be a multi-year engagement, whereby we as a command need to know when to challenge the status quo and at what level and degree to do so, so that you don't constantly just become a thorn in the side of the larger army, but you are still being that present, ever-present reminder of trying to shift the mindset. And so it's, it's a challenge day in and day out when you're dealing with changing culture and changing thinking. The, the key for us is knowing when and how far to push the envelope, when to accept the way things are so that you continue to keep the momentum that's needed to do so. So, Kay, you mentioned you're sort of challenging the current thinking and processes related to talent management, uh, which has led to the discovery of untapped talent within the Army itself. And I was wondering, how is the Army Future Command tackling the challenge of transitioning that talent out of the career field it is currently in, reskilling it, and injecting it back into the Army? Yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting um kind of realization, I guess I would say. So there was a narrative several years ago, but it was a pervasive one. And and it was shared by many in the army. And I would argue it was shared by Congress and it was shared by private sector as well. And the narrative went like this. The federal government and the DOD and the army have got to figure out a way to get talent from the private sector into the army so that you can be more I would say competitive in the information space, in the network space, in the software space, in the data space. And, and you've got to go find this talent and figure out how to bring it in. What we have realized by literally canvassing our, our current force is that we actually have this talent already. The problem is we brought them into the army and we didn't have data specific career models. We didn't have software-specific uh, design and engineering career models. And so we made this talent something else. We made it uh, a military intelligence officer or a signal officer or an infantry officer or a military policeman, right? We assessed this talent into the existing legacy career models, even though this talent has the ability to do things like DevSecOps, or um, big data analytics. So what we have dispelled is this view that all this talent is in the private sector or in, in um, academia. The reality is we've got it in the family. We just labeled it something else and we set it on a career path for a different skill set. So what's, what's really exciting and then also super challenging is when we pull that talent out of those existing career models and we create an environment where they now can leverage the fact that they've always been interested in, in coding and they've always wanted to be a software developer. We're now training them to do that. Um, but the challenge is 
where do they go and how do we build a career model for that new talent that we've pulled out of existing career paths? So we've not only created a gap in a in a different area of the army by pulling this person out and training them in this different environment, we've also got a problem of where do we put them and how do we leverage them in the future? And so it's it's in a really exciting time right now with what we're doing here at AFC on behalf of the larger army. But it is also very, very challenging and difficult to, to manage the, the transition of this new skill set and then manage these individuals throughout the, the lifetime of their, their time with the Army. So I was wondering, you know, one of the things you've done or one of the things that the Army Futures Command has done since its inception was uh, create the Army Futures Command Software Factory. Can you tell us about this program? What's its mission and how is it working to train tech talent and what role does it play in helping the Army modernize and keep up with uh, near-peer competition? Absolutely. It's really the incubator for the ability for the military specifically to understand and be able to help itself with respect to software development, application development, and more importantly, getting those new products onto a viable protected network. And what we're doing at the software factory here in Austin is creating teams of individuals who have discrete roles in software development product teams that understand not only how to build, how to code, and how to develop uh, viable applications that solve army problems, but also have the requisite platform engineer and support structures to deploy those new tools onto, onto networks. So it's, it's a very interesting model, and it's one that is informed by a couple of learning campaigns that we, we in, um, engaged in. One is, how does the private sector today do application development and, and software development? And so we have leveraged the plethora of software companies that are in Austin, Texas, to find out how the Googles, the Apples, the Facebooks, you know, the HomeAways, you know, the IBMs, how are they doing this, right? Arguably, they have a practice that works in their models. And so we've been informed by how they work it. We've also looked at existing DOD entities, uh, most probably the most well-known is the Kessel Run experiment that the Air Force has done and is doing. Um, But of course, the Defense Innovation Unit and many others across the DOD we have visited and worked with in order to build the model that we have here at AFC. And so it's team-based. It is discrete roles that each individual plays on the team. And the team is charged with solving Army problems through application and software development, and then the deployment of that product onto a network. And, And that's really what the software factory is designed to do. The experiment is how broad can we impact the Army, meaning can we impact in our generating force and solve problems that are at the garrison level, um, uh, CONUS side? And the other opposite end of the spectrum is can we put these software development teams in a future deployed environment where they're able to do um, agile software development that can help a commander on the ground in the future? 
And so the experiment is to not only create the talents that is needed to build these teams, but then to figure out how to employ these teams across the Army, across the full spectrum of, of what this work could look like in the future. How is the U.S. Army Futures Command upskilling its current staff while working to attract the right talent? We'll explore these questions and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Kate Kelly, Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. Army Futures Command. So, Kate, you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of, of data analytics as a skill set, and STEM-focused fields are really important, uh, an area of need for the Army Futures Command, the Army itself. What What are you doing to attract and retain that type of talent? And, you know, do you anticipate that skill need changing over time as newer technologies continue to evolve? I think it goes without saying that we're going to need to be iterative in the skills that we are seeking over time. There's, there's just no doubt that as you see the, the pace of change in our environment today, just in your personal world as well, you know, it's, it's, it's the difference of, you know, does your, does your father or your mother or your aunt understand how to manipulate a smartphone or their banking through an online module versus the younger generation who couldn't do it any other way but on a computer. So it, it goes without saying that skill sets do have to keep pace with what the the, the technologies and the new ways of, of us going through life are demanding us to understand. What we're doing here is trying to establish career paths and opportunities within AFC and also across the Army uh, that are incentivizing people who have that interest and that aptitude to come in and be part of the discussion. And so STEM-focused fields are really the nexus of what AFC is all about. It's not exclusively STEM-focused because the command has all sorts of other components uh, that, that support and are part of it. But what we are trying to do is to make ourselves known to, say, universities and even high schools who many don't really understand the opportunities that are out there to work for the Army 
and you can do so as a civilian and you you aren't necessarily what most people think about when they think about the army they think about that requisite infantry soldier right but in in the AFC world we hire scientists we hire engineers we hire information specialists we hire data scientists and we are looking for that type of workforce and it's not well known across the nation that you can work for the Department of Defense and or the Army in this case, and you don't necessarily deploy and you don't pick up a weapon and you are not a, a soldier per se. You are a, a civilian, a federal employee, still contributing to what is really an amazing mission. I mean, the scope of what the Army does for our nation is well beyond warfare. It is so much about the the support of the nation in terms of emergency response, waterway management, dams. The Corps of Engineers has such an amazing mission that is focused exclusively on homeland, right? So the Army has just a plethora of opportunity. What we're trying to do is to create the awareness in our universities and in our feeder systems that you can come and be part of the Army and part of AFC and really contribute in a variety of ways, especially if you are in a STEM-focused field. Okay, I was wondering, how, how are you using certain you know, direct hiring authorities, the science and technology reinvention authorities, to help position the Army Future Command as, a, as an employer of choice? Uh, what are you doing in that area? It really, it's almost like pounding the pavement, but also doing it virtually. You have to be present and have active relationships with universities. You have to be actively bringing interns in, into your summer uh, rotations and exposing them to what they can do in our labs. And that's one of one of our most successful models. We, we have existing partnerships with a variety of educational uh, universities across the country um, in many, many domains. Those partnerships allow us to pull students out of their school program and they can they can work in our labs, say June, July, August, while they're on uh, summer recess. And they can actually actively participate with our scientists and our researchers working on real army problems. That exposure uh, gives them that education that, that I was talking about previously, that there are opportunities for employment with the army that aren't the traditional uh, military soldier. It also um, creates this wonderful um, information and pipeline of relationship between the university and between the Army. And so trying to then um, incentivize that graduate to come work for us is, is, is a much easier sell. And if we have things like direct hire authority where we can make a job offer to that student who has that engineering degree and is interested in working directly for us, we can just make that shrink that timeline to get that person uh, employed with us exponentially. Right now, one of the biggest limiting factors for federal employment is the length of time that it takes to work through all of the legal wickets that you're you're mandated to work through. Most of your younger generation is not tolerant of the current USA jobs process and the complete um, absolute confusion that that creates on the part of a new employee trying to navigate the system. 
And so what happens is because that system is so lengthy in process, uh, the real talent is, is getting offers from industry and academia and private sector three and four times before the federal government even tells them that they made it to the next round of the position. So things like direct hire authority and, and what we're able to do with our science and technology lab authorities allow us to get directly to that talent in a much more streamlined and much quicker way, which helps us be a little bit more competitive with a company who can make an offer inside of five hours. And, and, and that's really what those authorities uh, allow us to do. That's amazing. You know, I want to transition a little bit from you know, bringing people in or retraining what you have and talk about sort of what's happened over the last year and a half almost uh, with the pandemic and the need to really operate as a distributed workforce um, using remote collaboration tools, which I believe it's not hard to say that they've kind of been ingrained in the culture of most organizations, I assume. Um, Army Futures Command isn't an exception there. To, but I was wondering, Kate, to what extent is the Army enterprise moving to a hybrid work model? And how important is it to strike the right balance of work productivity, work location, and flexibility? For me, I think the, the key in this is, is the word you just used, which is balance. There, there's a lot of narrative right now about what the, the last year plus has taught us, so to speak. And, and the narrative is a full spectrum of there are certain jobs and certain skills that can continue to be 100% distributed and remote, never need to be in a brick and mortar type environment. Um, it's quantifiable, it's, it's production based, and, and it, can, it, it can work. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is, no, no, this type of job um, in the Army space, a lot of it has to do with clearances and, and security-related issues for what the type of work is that we're doing. For me, that balance word becomes crucial because what I have found is that most jobs have components of both, right? And the question is, to what preponderance um, are you working on a classified system and to what preponderance of time are you working on an unclassified project that can be very easily done uh, from a home office? What we're experimenting with right now in Futures Command, and I would argue the Army and probably the entire nation, is how to strike the balance that enables flexibility for the workforce, um, but also gets the mission done. We, I think, in the Army are a little more challenged because I would consider us to be less flexible prior to COVID with our um, willingness to allow people to be in a fully distributed environment. We just happen to be a culture uh, about people, but we're also a culture about bringing a team together to achieve a mission. And so while we certainly had telework um, as, a, as a permission prior to COVID, I don't think as a cultural uh, identity, the Army would have considered itself very forward thinking in that way. So what this last year has challenged us to do is to really take a step back and say, wait a minute, there are parts of our workforce and parts of their jobs that can effectively be done in a distributed way. And so we have to find where that sweet spot is. And that's, that's the process that we're going through right now. As the federal government goes through it, as private companies are going through it, you know, my personal feeling is that 
there is a middle ground that needs to be struck. I also think there's a human dimension to this of having some degree of social contact. And so what we're shaping for Army Futures Command right now is a, is a, a return to work strategy that allows for telework um, and, and is flexible about when and to what degree, and then also creates work environments where teams can come together and collaborate and, and then go back into those distributed patterns in order to produce the next round of the product. Um, so it's it's a really exciting time, um, but of course it's one that we're going to have to sort of pilot and figure out, is it working, finesse the edges, and then continue to evolve it to make sure that we land in a in a good place. The, the other thing I would offer is that we want to be an employer of choice. We recognize that being more flexible on work location exponentially improves your chances of getting a, a better population of candidates interested in working for you. So we, we, we have to uh, shift the mindset in order to remain competitive and remain um, enticing to especially that younger generation that we're trying to build pipelines to come in and, and continue to be part of the, the Army Futures Command. So, Kate, to what extent is the Army Future Command looking ahead to the next evolution of collaboration tools and how to evolve those tools, processes and other technologies in support of the hybrid workforce? Yeah, I think that's that's all part of this discussion. Um, Yeah, it really is. I mean, tools are tools are obviously crucial to this. And I think the Army's done a pretty good job of developing and deploying um, ways for us to, to virtually connect with each other. And, and those, are, those are, in my view, must-haves going forward. Um, but the other piece of this that we've got to constantly look at is how you bifurcate things that can successfully be done through open source collaboration tools and where is the line drawn for things that must be done in a classified environment? And so that, that delineation of what tools are enabling what type of work to make sure that we have the tech protection uh, abilities that are necessary in our business um, is really one of the, the most important pieces that we're working through right now. Hey, Kate, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the Army Application Lab. How does it seek to work with the Austin startup community, uh, you know, to identify top issues within the Army in search of a solution? Yeah, this is a really exciting um, intersection for AFC with with, uh, both the Austin community, but really more with the larger entrepreneurial community. So the Army Applications Lab is designed to interact with entrepreneurs and small businesses medium-sized businesses as well, but really to create a way for companies who perhaps don't have massive capital backing, but have interesting and innovative ways to solve problems. AAL is about connecting that company with a real army problem that needs to be solved. And so what they have done, which is very exciting, is solicit Problems that are uh, real and near and dear to the Army's heart, that are things that arguably can be actioned by the right company with the right um, way to solve the problem. And they have connected that problem with a variety of small businesses that we're calling um, a cohort. In other words, we bring a couple of businesses together who, who express interest in trying to help the Army solve this problem. 
create a cohort that is working together on the issue. And the idea is when they come up with a solution, that solution can then be transitioned so that it can actually be solicited for and actually brought into fruition in the Army. So AAL is really a face for Army Futures Command and for the Army to be able to demystify the process of working with the Army and also help bring small businesses and entrepreneurs into the process of solving problems. And so we don't tell them how to solve the problem. We just say, this is the issue we're trying to solve. And then we, we adjudicate companies who have shown interest and shown aptitude to help fix the problem, create a cohort by which they work through uh, design solutions, um, both physical, software, intellectual, uh, property-based, and, and come up with ideas to, to actually um, deliver something that is more useful for the Army. So it's a really cool model. Um, and, and because the entrepreneur market here in Austin is, is so vibrant, um, it's, a, it's just a great place for us to physically be in order to meet these companies and these people and then connect them back with, with what can be this very nebulous and very confusing process to just try to work with the Army itself. How does the U.S. Army Futures Command use collaboration and partnership to meet its mission? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Kate Kelly, Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. Army Futures Command. You know, Kate, I was wondering, we've talked a lot about the shift in culture and, and arguably when you're in an organization where the, the culture is we avoid failure at all costs, but you're trying to innovate. I was wondering how, how can you navigate that and how does the army future command lead this diverse workforce through an often frustrating encounter to say army culture innovation cycle where failure is often the catalyst for the most innovative ideas. How are you doing that? You know, it's interesting. I <laughs> had a lot of thinking about that that question of fail early, fail often. Um, th- there is so much narrative in the in the private sector, especially about that, and and I think there is a lot of validity and truth to it. And it is absolutely in complete counter to our army culture, which is do not fail <laughs> ever and, and, and make sure you deliver. And so your question's outstanding because it, it, that inherent clash of viewpoint um, really does create a, a space that is uncomfortable for many, especially in the army. But I think that's, that's really part of what AFC is about, right? 
is a recognition that we ourselves in the Army have created an environment whereby failure is not an option. Yet in this particular world where you are trying to create new, it is inevitable that there will be failures. You, you just can't get it 100% right the first time every time, especially when you are working in um, spaces where you are literally creating new product and new design. And so what AAL and what the AFC community is trying to do is, is learn from each other. And, and that's not to say that one has to become like the other or that the private sector needs to adopt the army model. The point is we have to be able to communicate with each other and then find that sweet spot. So it, it might be okay for one of our cohorts to come up with two or three ideas, only one of which actually turns out to be viable. But the point is the army has gotten a viable solution, even though maybe two of the three ideas failed in inception. But if we landed on a viable idea that can actually be put into production and scaled to the level that it needs to be scaled at to support the army, that's a win, right? So the interesting part of this cultural shift is we have to create opportunities to work together, and then we have to be willing to learn from each other and find where that middle ground is that delivers a a solution and a capability. And to do that, I think it's pretty clear you, you need to leverage partnerships and collaboration. I was wondering, Kate, if you could tell us how you're doing that to improve operations, achieve outcomes that you're on the hook for and execute on your mission. Yeah, so it's a it's a great, great point of what AFC is all about. It is about collaboration. It is about the intersection of academia, um, our internal scientists and research and engineers and requirements writers. And, and connections with entrepreneurial community and, the, and, and large businesses as well, right? We're not about exclusively focusing on, on small business. We're about the right business to deliver the right capability that can in fact be delivered to the army. And so the collaboration and the partnerships that have to be developed are critical because so much is out there, so much capability And so much design and innovation happens every day across this country and across the world, quite frankly. The key is, are you building partnerships with the right entities to actually help you solve the right problems? And so having routine and collaborative ways to connect with academia, with private sector, within the DOD space as well, and creating joint partnerships across the services is the key to success here. It's, it's really what AFC is all about. You know, we, we can talk about, you know, we're, we're in the business of predicting the future, but the reality is the future demands that we're in a joint operating environment, that we have systems that talk to each other, that we have people who are literate and relevant to operate in that environment. And so creating that collaborative space is really what, what you're really trying to achieve. You know, Kate, just a couple of more questions for you. I was wondering, you know, um, I'd like to ask my guests, what are some of the Let's say three key takeaways you want our listeners to know about the Army Futures Command. I think I I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and, and, and to your listeners. I think what I would offer is recognition that AFC is, is in the business of trying to define that future space. Uh, at the same time, we're also challenging today's Army and, and arguably some, some legacy systems and processes that are in place. 
But the third piece of that is that we're trying to do it in a constructive way, right? So we're not trying to be a disruptor just to be a disruptor for disruptor's sake. You're trying to find the right reasons and the right areas to push the envelope in a way that actually achieves success. So I think people who are thinking about AFC should think about what it is we're trying to do in those three ways, meaning what is that future space look like and how do we work towards it? Knowing that in order to shape an army as large and complex and challenging as it is, you're going to have to push on legacy thinking and legacy systems in order to do that. But to truly be successful in that domain, you've got to be smart about how and when you disrupt the system. And so that's how I think about not only the challenge that AFC has has been given, but the opportunity that AFC can offer the army in order to see itself differently and in order to be a different army in the future. That's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing to take away. I want to ask you one last question. What advice, Kate, would you give someone who may perhaps be thinking about a career in public service? I would say absolutely consider public service and know why you're doing it. If you if you're the kind of person who's inspired by uh, creating a difference, um, creating lasting impact, and doing it within a environment that is challenging, um, where you really have to be creative, you have to be uh, very financially savvy to get things done, and you have to work within some pretty significant uh, legal and, and policy constraints. That makes for very challenging environments to do big strategic things, but it also makes for a very rewarding career and a very rewarding um, experience when you deliver. So if you're the kind of person who's inspired by challenge, um, public service in our country is absolutely a great space to be. You just have to know when you're going into it that you are going to be operating in an environment that has some serious limitations and constraints that make make things challenging, but they also create opportunity that is is just really exciting. Okay, well, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your out of your busy schedule to join us today. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I, I hope your audience and your listeners took something away from the conversation. Very, very much appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and your listeners. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Kate Kelly, Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. Army Futures Command. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, or listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.